Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin. In part one, I looked at every single Prime Minister in Canadian history. Now we're on part two, where we look at every single opposition leader who never became Prime Minister. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. I'd also like to thank Dr. Bob Turner, who is the newest patron of the podcast. I truly do appreciate it. I do this full-time, and every dollar you give helps keep all of it going. I also give a shout-out to everybody who donates and becomes a patron throughout my social media. Don't forget, I have three other podcasts out there. Canadian History X, which releases every single Monday and Saturday. Canada's Great War, which releases every single Sunday. And Coast to Coast, which looks at the building of the Transcontinental Railway. It comes out every single Thursday. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. Following Richard Hansen, a new man would come into the role of leader of opposition. And like Hansen, he too was not the leader of his party. Gordon Graydon would serve as the leader of the official opposition from 1943 to 1945, while at the same time John Bracken was the leader of the party. Bracken did not have a seat in the House of Commons, so he could not attend and therefore couldn't lead the party in the House. As a result of this, from 1941 to 1945, the Progressive Conservatives essentially had two leaders, one in the House of Commons and one officially outside of it. Prime Minister William Lyon Mackenzie King would write of the whole matter on January 27, 1943, stating, quote, A temporary leader appointed and a new leader of the Conservative Party chosen from outside the party altogether, one who has yet found a seat in the House of Commons. There never was a more complete confounding of the politics of one's enemies than is exhibited by this debacle of the old Tory party, which has tried to cover up its disasters by giving itself a new name. End quote. So today I'm looking at Graydon, the last of two placeholder leaders during the Second World War for the party. Born on December 7, 1896 in Snellgrove, Ontario, to a family that was rooted in the Orange Order in the region, his distant cousin, William Graydon, was one of the staunchest supporters of the order through the 1870s and 1880s. Graydon's great-grandfather, William Henry, had founded a lodge that would be named in his honour as well. His father was a dairy farmer and Gordon would describe his life in the winter where he would pack two lunches, one for himself and one for his sled dog that took him three kilometres to the schoolhouse and slept beside him during lessons. Graydon received his education in the county of Peel, and attended the Brampton High School. In 1908, Graydon was sitting on a train, and according to a story printed in Maclean's in 1943, he heard two men arguing about who won the riding in the federal election that year. Graydon stood up and walked over to the men and said, quote, Excuse me, but I can tell you who won the election and how big a majority he had. End quote. As a young man, the walls of his bedroom had pictures not of generals or sports stars, but political leaders. He apparently had a picture of the entire Ontario cabinet of Conservative Premier J.P. Whitney on his wall, and his mother would say later in his life that he never missed an opportunity to go to the train station 
so he could pick up the latest in political gossip. For Graydon, politics was a major hobby and a major interest. His other major interest? Threshing machines. Conservative politics were all around Graydon as a child. His father was the chairman of the local conservative organization, and his neighbor was the daughter of the conservative MP for the area. He would attend the University of Toronto, earning a degree in political science, and he then attempted to enlist in the First World War, but was denied because he did not pass the physical. Nonetheless, he would try two more times and fail both times. In 1924, he graduated from Osgoode Hall Law School and became a partner with Justice William Rainey, himself a one-time Attorney General of Ontario. In 1925, Graydon made his first political speech to a farm meeting in the Peel Riding. That same year, he would marry Daisy Giffen of Stainer, Ontario. And while Graydon was a staunch conservative, his wife's family were diehard liberals. Throughout his life, Graydon would live in Brampton with his wife Daisy and would even write a weekly column for the local newspapers of the area. On April 17, 1933, Graydon became the president of the Peel County Conservative Association. At the age of 36, he was the youngest man to ever hold the position. He would quickly begin to revitalize the party in Ontario. On January 21, 1934, he formed the Young Conservatives Club to rejuvenate the party. He was elected as its president at the same time, and four years into the reign of R.B. Bennett as Prime Minister, the party's very existence was threatened in the province due to the unpopularity of the Federal Conservative Party at the time. In Ontario, Premier George Henry was in the last year of a Conservative Premier leading the province after the party had dominated provincial politics since 1905. The next year, the Liberals would come into power and remain in power until 1943. Needless to say, it was a dark time for the Conservative Party. On May 4, 1934, he would urge the older members of the party to take the younger Conservatives into their laps to help bring new life into the party that he felt was growing old and stale. He would state, quote, When Premier Henry comes back, and surely there is no doubt about that, we want you to take the young Conservatives into your lap and encourage us. You will be the stronger and we will be the better for it. End quote. On December 6, 1934, the Eastern Ontario Progressive Conservatives held their annual meeting, which Graydon would speak at, and he would state, quote, The Conservative Party in Ontario is looking for a real new deal. End quote. He would add that there needed to be greater care in choosing the next leader of the provincial arm of the party, stating, quote, The man you select will be chosen Premier for 15 years. End quote. Of course, that was not the case, as the Liberals would roar to power in Ontario. With his profile rising, Graydon was chosen to represent Peel on March 24, 1935, in the upcoming general election later that year. He would replace Sam Charters, who had represented Peel in the riding for the previous 17 years and was now retiring. In the October election, only 35 Conservatives were elected in a landslide victory for the Liberals, and Graydon was one of them. In that election, he defeated his Liberal opponent by only 170 votes in an extremely close race. Never again would he win by less than 900 votes over his next closest opponent. With his election, he joined a long list of members of the Orange Order and Peel to serve in the House of Commons, going all the way back to John Hilliard Cameron in 1867. Graydon would win that election by making hundreds of personal calls throughout his county. 
Graydon's own estimate states he pushed 7,000 doorbells in Peel County. Later, his campaign would be used as a model for freshmen and the Progressive Conservatives. In February of 1936, he would speak for the first time in the House of Commons, showing his belief in nonpartisan politics. He would say, quote, I would like to offer the cooperation of one of the humblest private members in the House to the end that something practical may be done and that mere partisanship shall not occupy the attention of the House to the extent that some, who have voiced opinion, suspect have been the case in the past. End quote. Years later, he would write in a letter, quote, Last Thursday's exhibition of partisanship and party bitterness disgruntled me. It is high time members of Parliament relegated party fortunes and picayune discussion to the past. The war is going to demand the best that all can give, and I sincerely hope that its exhibition is not a measure of what we can do. All parties had better realize that the party wants something better than a disgraceful display of temper at this critical time. End quote. At the outbreak of the Second World War, he would again try to enlist in the army, but this time was turned down again on medical grounds. By 1940, Graydon was able to increase his total over his opponent from 170 to having 3,000 more votes than both of his opponents combined. Hansen would visit Prime Minister William Lyme Mackenzie King and speak to him on matters of a successor, and King would write in his diary, quote, Graydon, Green, Diefenbaker. I would myself prefer their appointment in that order mentioned. The Tories seldom choose a decent man. They're likely to take Diefenbaker as being the most bitter in his attacks. End quote. On January 26, 1943, Graydon was chosen as the leader of the opposition. King would write, quote, Listen to the news. Word came over the radio that Hansen had definitely retired from the leadership of the party and that Graydon had been appointed to succeed him. I felt greatly relieved and pleased at this word. Tried to get Graydon by phone, but could not reach him. End quote. King would reach Graydon the next day and congratulated him and extended good wishes towards him. King would describe the exchange as pleasant. One of his first acts as leader of the opposition was to arrange a dinner for the parliamentary press gallery in honor of John Bracken, and by all accounts the dinner was described as a happy affair. Within eight months of becoming the leader of the opposition, Graydon had made two transcontinental trips of Canada. In his first trip, he visited 109 constituencies and talked to an estimated 10,000 people traveling a distance of over 30,000 kilometers. In Saskatchewan alone, he traveled 5,700 kilometers, speaking in small towns and villages for the most part. During the tour, he found that he was handicapped in Quebec because he did not know French and he soon began to work to learn the language. As leader of the opposition, Graydon was actually well-liked in Quebec, admired by Irish voters and farmers who felt that he had their interest at heart. He was believed to be a good organizer who would help get the party where it needed to be until Bracken could assume power in the House of Commons. Described as having a stocky build, his graying hair well-groomed and glistening, he always wore a brown tweed suit in Parliament. A profile in Maclean's in 1943 would state, quote, He is seldom without a broad grin which breaks into a contagious laugh at the least provocation. He has an unfailing sense of humor. Graydon loves meeting people, ordinary people, and making friends. End quote. Graydon was also noted for his hatred of reading of speeches in Parliament, 
and his speeches tended to be brief and to the point. He would often stand back, brace himself against the desk behind him, and give his speeches in a laid-back manner. On February 1, 1943, Graydon would give one of his first speeches in the House as leader of the opposition, and King would write, quote, Graydon's material was, I thought, remarkably good in his main effort as leader of the opposition. I was surprised that it was so long. While he did not read it, he had it apparently all in typed form and spoke in considerable part without reference to the typed pages. End quote. Graydon's first vote in the House of Commons as leader came in the reappointment of Chief Justice Duff, which he voted against. Given Graydon's background in law, King was surprised he voted against it, but theorized that he wanted to have younger men on the bench. Graydon would show a progressive attitude when, on February 15, 1944, he asked Defense Minister James Ralston why women in the Canadian Army were paid less than that of men in the Army. He was told by Ralston that women were not adaptable for all forms of service, and their pay was 80% that of what was given to male soldiers. On June 29, 1944, Graydon would be part of history during the debate over the Family Allowances Bill. The bill would allow for the payment of $5 for children up to 6 years old and $8 for children between 13 and 16, giving families much more money. The Canadian press would report, quote, The House was tense with expectation as the vote was being taken, but the tenseness snapped when Gordon Graydon, Progressive Conservative House Leader, stood and voted for the bill. And that goes for John Bracken too, said Mr. Graydon, amid applause from all sides. Some had expected his party to split their votes on the issue because some of its members had criticized the bill while others supported it. When 139 voted for the bill and none opposed it, Prime Minister Mackenzie King smiled as seldom before in this session. End quote. On June 10, 1945, Graydon was succeeded as Leader of the Opposition by newly elected Member of Parliament and Leader of the Party, John Bracken. On September 6, when Parliament reconvened, King would walk across the House of Commons and shake hands with Graydon. Even after he was Leader of the Opposition, Graydon was very well liked. Maclean's would write in 1947, quote, Graydon's weakness, as well as his strength, is that he hasn't an enemy in the world. He has none of the inner hardihood, the touch of ruthlessness that makes for leadership in the tough games of politics, and he knows this perfectly well. End quote. Graydon would soon sit next to Bracken, his right-hand man in the House of Commons. In 1945, Graydon was a delegate at the San Francisco World Conference and a delegate in London. He also represented Canada at the Preparatory Committee of the United Nations, and while the delegates were poring over documents, Graydon went around making friends, getting along well with the people from the smaller countries. After the war, he was in Berlin with other Canadian MPs when he went to the Reich Chancellery for a tour, but he was told he could not enter. Graydon then took out a Canadian cigar and offered it to the Russian guard, who took it and gave the Canadians a personal tour of the building. As the vice chairman of the House External Affairs Committee, he was widely respected and he would hold the position until August of 1953. Graydon would also serve as Canada's alternative delegate at the First General Assembly of the United Nations in 1946. He was the parliamentary advisor to the Canadian delegate at the United Nations General Assembly in 1950, and he filled the same role in 1952. 
Graydon, for his part, considered himself to be a representative of the ordinary person in the United Nations. Upon King's retirement from politics, Graydon would rise to speak in the House of Commons, praising King for his many years in public service and expressing his good wishes towards King, which King returned. On August 17, 1953, one week after the 1953 general election, Graydon would enter the hospital for surgery to his abdomen, and he would rapidly see his health fall from that point. He had been ill during the general election, but he kept his speaking engagements, touring Ontario as one of the Progressive Conservatives' six main speakers. Graydon would pass away on September 19, 1953, at the age of only 56, while serving in the House of Commons. Prime Minister Louis Saint Laurent would say, quote, Mr. Graydon was not only successful at the polls in his own riding from his first occasion on which he stood for election, but he always took an active part in national political affairs. Saint Laurent, after praising the foreign affairs work of Graydon, would state, quote, Gordon Graydon had a host of friends, and ever since I have been in public life, I have considered it a privilege to be counted amongst them. All of us who have had the good fortune to know him will miss his cheerful personality and all in Parliament will mourn a friend. End quote. John Bracken, his friend and successor in the House of Commons, echoed a similar statement stating, quote, Peel County has lost its best-loved son, and Canada one of her best-loved public servants. Gordon Graydon was one of nature's gentlemen. I favoured over many years in having him as my closest friend. It can properly be said of him that he is one of the greatest commoners of his generation. The nation is better for his having lived. End quote. George Drew, the current leader of the Progressive Conservatives, would say, quote, He was truly a great Canadian, and our country has lost one of its most devoted and unselfish public servants. Few men have given so much of their life to the advancement of their own community and their country as a whole. End quote. Graydon was buried in Brampton, Ontario on September 21st. Former Ontario Premier T.L. Kennedy served as a pallbearer, and honorary pallbearers included George Drew, leader of the Progressive Conservatives, Premier Frost of Ontario, John Bracken, Lester B. Pearson, and Paul Martin Sr. A high school in Mississauga is named for him, as is a junior high school in Brampton. A column in the Edmonton Journal a few days after his death would say of Graydon, and I will use this to close out the episode, quote, Graydon was a man of many talents, a tireless and successful political campaigner of the old personal contact school and an expert debater and parliamentary strategist. Through hard study, he made himself one of the best-informed men in the House of Commons. He will be probably remembered longest at Ottawa for his warm, human friendliness and kindness, which made no distinction of party or section. He was one of the most universally esteemed men in Canadian public life. End quote. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at Gordon Graydon. If you did, please leave a rating and review. Next week, we'll be looking at John Bracken, the new leader of the Progressive Conservatives. If you like, you can reach me through email at craig at canadaehx.com. You can also visit my website. We will find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com. And don't forget, you can support the podcast through Patreon. There are multiple tiers to choose from, all with great benefits. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. 
just like all of these wonderful patrons have, and I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Dr. Bob Turner, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Randall McCallum, Diane Wade, Lorianne Kirby, Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. If you want, you can find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash CanadianHistoryX. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram. Just go to Bairdo37. Information comes from the Brampton Guardian, Canadian Press, The Minute Book, Wikipedia, Liberal and Archives Canada, From the Boyne to Brampton, Windsor Star, The Ottawa Citizen, Montreal Gazette, Maclean's, and The Edmonton Journal. Thanks. We'll see you again next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.